Welcome back to True Crime Trine. It's a podcast where the planets align sometimes, like today, and we do three things where we chat about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. Yeah, the third thing being pretty Mm -hmm. (laughs) all-encompassing. Yes, we do devote a lot of time to bullshit, but there are some facts. Uh, We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode 62. Nope. One? One. It's an odd number for Hannah. I'll get an even number. Yep. Okay, welcome to episode 61. Woo! Right. Any housekeeping? Yes. So, number one, we are going to welcome Iceland and the <gasps> Czech Republic. Wow. I'm go to both of those places. To oh be my honest. gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. Pretty stoked to see that. We welcome you. Thank you so much for listening. And then, congratulations to Hannah on executing her exit seminar. That was <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I didn't swear once. I noticed. I was so surprised. I was like, I'm going to tally these and tell her how many she has. I wasn't even thinking about it, like trying to. I guess I just put my professional face on, which I don't wear for the podcast. (laughs) It was so good, though. But and I mentioned this on Discord for PAO. But towards the end at the questions portion of the exit seminar, Hannah was asked what her plans are. And I'm sitting there like, say it. Say I did. it. Mm. Say it. And I was so hoping that you were going to say my plans are optional. <laughs> I had been talking for like 50 minutes. And by that point, I was. Her I brain was like, nah. <laughs> I went to bed at like 9 p.m. that night, too. I was exhausted. Oh, I bet. Congratulations. It was a really, really awesome thing to watch. So thank you for sending us the links yeah, thank to you for participate. Coming. It was really nice. It was a really good attendance. A lot of people came. I think that was... That was like the most attended seminar we'd had yet this quarter. I think this year, to be honest. Yeah, and that's like one good thing, I guess, from COVID is the Zoom opportunities because my parents could come too and I sent to my friend in San Francisco, a friend in Rhode Island, like it was all over the place, so... It was nice. And then the last thing I had for housekeeping was we did get a comment from our listener, Kat, and I did finally find your email. So I've sent it over to Sarah and hopefully we can get in touch with you at some point soon. Yeah, sooner than later. I've just been inundated with emotional trauma lately my of my own. Are we all emotionally traumatized on this podcast? Meredith, are you doing okay? Oh, God. Uh, no, because Spooks is missing. No, goddamn. Oh, no. However, what came out of this is because I don't check the spam folder and it's like way far down on like the list of things. So it's like kind of hidden. And so I go to check our spam folder and it is nothing but porn. Yes! It's for me! For my research! For the things that Hannah has been asking for. Has anyone responded about whether it's nicer to ejaculate with a soft dick? No. Not yet. Maybe I'll ask the boys. Yeah, you can do that. They're going to be like, <laughs> fuck off, Hannah. <laughs> I know. They're not going to answer that. I don't want to tell you this. Yeah. We did talk about poop for like 15 minutes. 
on the last thing we recorded because we were like, do you think you could pick your own poop out of a lineup? Mine, no. I feel like it's so variable. Well, and it's like, it's going to be in a lineup with other poops of the same, because there's that Bristol stool scale. And so I'm like, we'll put it in a lineup of the same type. So it's okay. not like someone's pelleting like a goat and someone has diarrhea. Like, it's going to be like a nice type four, a smooth boy. Okay. As long as I ate corn the night That's before. the only way I could do it. I don't, I don't think I could. <laughs> I don't think so I don't either. think I want to be in that room where there's that many different poops lined up. Uh, no. Is it just visual or is it scent too? No. We didn't talk about scent actually, but that is an important well, aspect. Because it's like, I feel like everyone knows what theirs smells like. I think the, you might I not. Like a lot of poop smells the same though. I mean, it's never good, but yeah. <laughs> but sometimes my poop smells like something is dead inside of me. My heart. Oh. No. <laughs> and then I also did have a funny, a funny story. So I got a massage this week and my massage therapist, she's a super amazing lady, but she was telling me about the rub map. Have you heard of this? No. No. It's like a Google map, if you will, of some sort. And it tells you where you can get a massage <gasps> that has a happy <gasps> Well, that's not a very good name for it, to be honest. The rub map? Massage rub, but then also... I don't know. Like what... tug rub. Yeah, it should be a rub and tug map. That sounds like a lot of friction. It's not the first thing I think of when I think of a, a happy ending. She had heard about it through like some... As a massage therapist, she hears these things. Yeah. There was like a news program or something that was like talking about this. And she was like, oh my God, I wonder if I'm on it. Like somebody just like put me on it. And she's got other friends that do massage therapy and stuff like that too. So she was like, oh, I got to check and see if somehow we've mistakenly got on this where I don't want anyone to think that like I offer that service. No. (laughs) She's like, I don't offer that service. But anyways, there's a particular place that's also in the same town that she works in that is on the rub map. And she was like, oh my God, don't tell anyone. I was like, oh, I'm telling everyone. (laughs) on my podcast so there's that we're not looking for a rub and tug we're looking for a hug (laughs) i also want to say something because i totally lied so to the listener that gave us that really great review and wanted the marcus wesson story and i told you i'd get it in the next two and i did not i'm trying i'll say i'll get to it soon there's a book i need to read first i was really i was working on my exit seminar yeah priorities you know so it will come up soon i mean we do this as a hobby this isn't you know this isn't a full-time job for us we are not sponsored no (laughs) however pretty litter i would be interested because i have a kidney now with kidney disease so if you're looking for someone to help fund (laughs) and i have a kitty that has urinary crystals so that would be nice to see as well yeah, I have kitties, so it's <laughs> good to know. You know, we're a cat podcast. They need I to. They need want, to get on it. I want a robot. A Roomba? No, I have a the oh. litter, litter cleanup. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing. I want the one that rotates because we have yeah. the one that just goes like this. Oh no! I know listeners can't see what's see happening, my but hand gestures. But the one that kind of scrapes across is like a pan litter no, box, I want the... but it scrapes across. And my cats at the time, it was Frank and Mr. Bean, and they were like, challenge accepted. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Because there's like a timer so that like if another cat gets into the box, it waits to scoop. 
But the problem is, is if there's too much shit in the box, then it gets clogged. Oh, no. That thing was broken within a week. Ah, uh, <laughs> there goes the oh dream. Oh, my God. I won't, uh, yeah, there's that new one that's like a big They just like tag teamed it until it was like, I can't anymore. I'm out of shit. But yeah, I've seen the I've seen the rotating one and that one looks super cool. I just I'm interested to see if it if you would need one per cat or if they could share them cuz they're fucking they're, they're like very, $500. They're very expensive. Yeah. I might ha- I would get like one regular and one robot. Okay. Maybe, but then they'll probably use the regular one and not the robot if that's what I did. I know. They'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> uh, well, they do have the robot overlords that feed them. So maybe they could get used to the robot robot overlords that um, clean their shit. Yeah. I mean, it's worth a shot if you can afford it. Or if somebody wants to donate not yet. litter boxes, the robot I'm litter tr- boxes to the podcast. to get a job real hard, y'all. That's the other thing I'm doing, listeners. I want to hear about Mark and what Marcus Wesson. I applied to four jobs yesterday. Yay! <laughs> wow. Oh, God, it was exhausting. And I also thought this morning, if I get a real job, pay some of my credit card debt off, maybe I'll get a tattoo. Sweet. I was going to say, that would be kind of cool to get tattoos. Okay. I like it. So anyway, listener, yes. I am looking forward to reading this book about Marcus Wesson, though, because I just heard bits and pieces of it when I was in high school. It's gross. It's ah, it's a different kind of gross than Peter Curtin, but it's gross. Ugh. Yeah. We are a true crime podcast, though, so none of this shit's fun. Some of it's better than others. Except for maybe tonight. Oh. Okay. Let's have some fun. I'm like trying to figure out what all these plants have in common other than being state plants, but like. And there's no weapon. state plants. Hmm. We have given our listeners some pretty heavy hitters over the last three episodes. Oh my God, yeah. Hannah gave Sorry. Peter Curtin. Sarah gave Colin Ireland. I gave you guys Danny Rowling. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. These were some heavy hitters. Oof. So this week I wanted to do something a little bit lighter. That's a good and idea. A little bit shorter. All yes. right. We are in the midst of June and summer is coming slowly in Washington, quicker in California. It showed up like this last week real fast. We're just now inching into like mid 60s into 70s. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 108 here on Friday. Yeah. Barf. So, yeah. <laughs> Must be nice. I think we usually have like one week that's super hot. So we don't see those triple digits all the time. But I would go for like a nice 75, 80 would be great. That's the best one. So as we're entering summer, for adults, summer doesn't mean shit. (laughs) But I long for the good old days of summer vacation. Did you guys ever have any like summertime traditions or trips that your families would take? Yeah, we, um, it's usually August. And we would, uh, we'd always go to Santa Cruz once in the summer, and we'd always go up to Huntington Lake, like, once in the summer. So, mountains, beach, we always were 100% sure to do those two things. How about you, Sarah? I would, I mean, a lot of the time I would just go and visit family in Northern California, where I now reside and hardly ever visit anymore. I mean, like, we kind of don't really talk a whole lot with them, except for, like, special occasions and stuff, but... okay. But when I was little, it was, like, important to maintain those, like, family ties. So, yeah, I would visit for, like, a week or two. And then, yeah, then I would come home, like, Mom, did you miss me? She's like, yeah, but it was a good miss. <laughs> She's like, no, 
No, it was nice to have have some time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Definitely went to the river. I don't remember if it was spring break or what, if it was summer, but we would go to the Colorado River out by like the Mojave Desert and everything. Okay. And my uncle had this boat and we would just pack everything. We would spend so much time packing stuff into this boat so that there were like zero air gaps because we had those two massive, like not pop-up tents, but like big old actual structure tents that we would anchor into the ground and everything. Two massive coolers full of like cold food and ice to keep cold the entire time we would be there. We'd be out on like 100 degree weather on these sand dunes camping and like boating and doing wakeboarding and tubing and skiing and fishing and just, yeah. Can't sleep on the sand because the scorpions will come out, but. (laughs) Motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. All sorts of fun stuff. So we did that a lot. I finally remember those, those memories, but. Our our summer vacation was, let's get out of the heat. Yeah, ours was like, let's go to the water and the heat. I lived in Fresno. Yeah. <laughs> well, my family, we used to take a trip over to Lake Chelan, mm. if you're familiar with Lake Chelan in Washington, in my dad's 1965 Buick Electra 225 convertible. And this was a boat of a car. There was no seatbelts in the back seat, oh so... It was just me and my brother. It was, it was uh, pre-TT, so it was just me and my brother kind of rolling around in the back seat because there's no seatbelts back there. But if you haven't been to Lake Chelan, I would definitely recommend it. It's a pretty cool place. My dad grew up in like Manson, Lake Chelan, which are like the towns kind of next to each other. So he had family friends over there, and then you can do apple factory tours. Hmm. And then, of course, just like swimming and floating and playing in the lake. And then my absolute favorite memory, though, was the time my brother got assaulted by a goose. <laughs> Those motherfuckers. Geese are so mean. Yeah. And I apologize to my brother, but it is something that still to this day makes me laugh. Oh, man. That goose was not having any of it. But because summer means heat generally. I wanted to chill things off just a bit because I am also missing spooky season. So to combine the two tonight, I am going to take you on a spooky summer road trip. Oh, is it to the Wisconsin Dells? No, it's not, but is it to the Wisconsin Dells? No. Because that's where some good shit is, we learned. We did, (laughs) and we will go there. But yeah, so this is a 39-hour and a 2,473-mile trek that will take us to five states and to some pretty spooktacular places. Spooktacular. I love it. Before we start, I would like to know what your go-to road snacks are. Beef jerky. Okay. Hot Cheeto fries. Mm. Gummy snacks. I think I could definitely road trip with Sarah then. <laughs> Mine are beef jerky, gummy bears, and wasabi almonds. Oh. Yeah, I can't really do the wasabi. I like the scent of it, but I don't like the experience. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Those like rice cracker mixes with wasabi peas, like a snack mm-hmm. mix, and I was like, woof, my nose. <laughs> yeah. It really gets you. Clear your sinuses. Oh, man. What about you, Hannah? What would your go-to snacks be? Hot Cheetos, but not hot Cheeto fries. The hot Cheetos themselves with lime. Mm -hmm. Some sort of like iced tea. And I am always down for some kind of gummy, but I like a sour gummy the most. Okay. 
They, like, rub the roof of my mouth. Oh, I don't mind. Oh, the sugar crystals? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like the Hot Cheetos fries, because they're a little bit softer on the roof of my mouth, too. Like, some cereals just cut that shit up. Oh, my God. And like, Captain Crunch berries? Oof. Oh, my God. Yeah, awful. So, like, sometimes if I'm eating enough of them, Hot Cheetos are crunchy enough where that'll happen, too. But the fries are, like, they're crispy instead of crunchy. Okay. I mean, I had that problem, but... I guess Taco Bell is also my road snack. <laughs> you can always find those. They're always on the side of the road, road. so it's, uh, <laughs> it's fine. Let's buckle our seatbelts and hit the road. We are going to start this trip in my home state of Washington. Our first stop is in Black Diamond, Washington, and I don't work too far away from Black Diamond, so this is a town that I kind of frequent through on traveling from here to there, but... Back in 1880, coal explorers made their way to the Green River coal fields in search of high-quality coal, and they would not be disappointed with Black Diamond. The Black Diamond Coal Mining Company of California would establish their mining business in 1884, bringing with them workers from their Nortonville, California mining operation. After World War I, about 1918, the mines would be shut down, but a second mining boom in 1930 led by the Morris Brothers through Palmer Coke and Coal, which is still in business today, would spur the town's growth again. Black Diamond was officially incorporated on February 19th of 1959, and while considered a small mining town for many years, just like many areas, it has seen a substantial growth over the past few years. Just outside of Black Diamond proper, they just put in this 10 trails development and it is adding 6,000 homes on approximately 2,200 acres. There have been several bodies that have been discovered during the clearing and grading process to build Ooh. this development. Oh, like re- recent? Wow. Mm-hmm. But this is not where we're stopping. Oh, all right. We'll just wave to the bodies and move on. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. So just up the road is the Black Diamond Cemetery. This cemetery was established by the Black Diamond Coal Mining Company in 1884 as a company and a community cemetery. This cemetery is three acres and it contains approximately 1,020 graves. Many of the graves belong to immigrants from Wales, Germany, Russia, and other European countries who came to work for the mines. Hmm. One grave is said to contain the bodies of eight miners that were lost in the Lawson Mine Explosion of 1910. I haven't heard of any of this. I didn't even know there were, like, coal mines in Washington. There are. Miners were made to pay a graveyard fee, which was deducted from their paychecks. Oh, to pay for the upkeep of this <gasps> graveyard. That is a sign that you don't want to work there. Jeez. Coal mining is a very dangerous, dangerous job. Yeah. There are also several graves belonging to young children who perished in the 1900s influenza and smallpox epidemics. There was a big one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in April of 2000. Black Diamond Cemetery is known for spooky and strange events. It is said that upon entering the cemetery, especially after dusk, you will feel its naturally haunted aura. I want it. I feel like every cemetery at nighttime feels just like cold. When we were in Woods Hole, there was that cemetery 
by Woods Hole. We never actually mm-hmm. went there after dark, but I really wanted to. So the first, actually, the first summer that I stayed at Woods Hole, I stayed off campus about three miles up the road, and it oh, was a lovely yeah. three-mile walk yeah. along the Shining Sea Bikeway every day, morning and night. And so in the evenings, I would walk back, and it was like through that like parking lot area. And every time I right. walked past this certain spot, I was like, it's always really nice and cold right here, like even on a hot night. And I didn't realize it until one morning because I'm just like, like looking around at all the plants and stuff. And I didn't realize that beyond the retaining wall was the cemetery. And one day when I was walking past that same cold spot, I just happened to like look over because it was kind of weird and misty. And I saw the gravestone sticking out through the mist. And I was like, Oh my god, this whole time. I didn't even know. (laughs) And there's some cool scientists buried in there. Oh yeah, lots of really cool history. Yeah. Anyways. Sorry. Spooky aura. (laughs) Sorry. So visitors of the Black Diamond Cemetery have reported seeing strange lights that seem to float above the graves. Will of the wisps. Well, it could be. It could be. And I did read about that. But... People who've seen these say that they really resemble coal miners' lanterns. Oh, and the helmets and stuff. And some believe that the spirits are of dead miners and that they're roaming the area still searching for coal in the afterlife. What a shitty afterlife. Other visitors have reported hearing disembodied voices, (gasps) whispering from the graves. I love it. I just gotta chill. I'm so excited. Others have heard strange whistling noises that cannot be explained. Especially if they're like echoey, like it's inside a mine kind of sound. Ugh. Yeah. Two of the more eerie claims are the supernatural-like fog that appears dense and enveloping in the night. Nice. And the appearance of a ghostly white horse that walks aimlessly among the headstones. Oh. Was the horse buried there? Not buried there, but it's suggested that this horse belonged to someone who is buried there. And he's like, where's my friend? The horse is stuck in purgatory trying to find yep. his friend. No, oh, Poor horse. So if you dare to enter after dark. I do. I'm sure you would get some chills. I'm in. Ugh, that kind of stuff really freaks me out, but I might. <laughs> I am just, I'm so interested in it. It would depend. You'd probably hear me screaming like a little bitch and see like a Meredith-shaped hole through something to get (laughs) the fuck out of there, but it just depends on the experience. It could be a very peaceful experience, too. I mean, you just, you never know. Sarah doesn't know this. I'm a very jumpy person, so. I'm a screamer. I'm just like, I'm a, what? I'm that kind of person, but I think it's interesting. What happens after you're dead? Are there ghosts? Maybe. I don't know. I just gave an exit seminar for my science PhD, but maybe they're ghosts too. I don't know. Could be. Who knows? Well, we're going to get back in the car and we are going to drive south for about two, a little over two and a half hours. We're going about 163 miles and we are going to Cathedral Park in Portland, Oregon under the St. John's Bridge. Never been there. So the St. John's Bridge is a steel suspension bridge that spans the Willamette River between Cathedral Park neighborhood in North Portland and the Linton, like, kind of Northwest Industrial neighborhoods in Northwest Portland. Hmm. It is the tallest bridge in Portland with a 1,200-foot center span. Fucking hell. The total length of the bridge, 2,067 feet. And it also sports two 400-foot towers, which have a Gothic cathedral-like design. So, hence... 
All right. The cathedral okay. park I like name it. of the neighborhood. They got a little fun little, with it. A little spooky. Well, for the spookier part, I'm going to tell you about the phantom in Cathedral Park. Ooh. What is now known as Cathedral Park is said to be one of the most haunted places in Portland. Visitors of the park have reported hearing a young girl's blood-curdling screams and her crying out for help. Oh. Oh, my God. It has also been reported that people have seen the young girl's spirit wandering around the park. Oh, that's too close to like a 911 call. I'd rather go to the other cemetery. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So many people believe that this spirit is of a 15-year-old girl named Thelma Taylor who was brutally murdered in 1949. On August 5th of 1949, Thelma, who was a sophomore at Roosevelt High School, which isn't too far from this area, was waiting for a bus in the St. John's neighborhood in northern Portland. She was headed approximately 20 miles to the west to the town of Hillsborough to get a summer job picking beans. 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 Thelma never made it to Hillsborough. Mm. Her body was discovered on August 11th, 1949, after her killer, Morris Leland, 22, ex-convict, asshole, mm-hmm, was arrested for auto theft. He then confessed to kidnapping and murdering Thelma and then led investigators to her body. I guess that's huh. nice. He didn't have to. Leland had approached Thelma at the bus stop and forced her to accompany him down to the banks of the Willamette River. Leland held her captive overnight. What the fuck? Jeez. And attempted to rape her, but stopped when Thelma told him that she was a virgin. That works? Wow. The following morning on August 6, 1949, Thelma heard some people working in a nearby train yard and she screamed for help. (gasps) That's a scream. Right? Leland struck Thelma in the head with a steel bar and then stabbed her to death. Did they ever try and, like, did the people working nearby hear it at all and try? No. Nope. Nobody heard it. Oh, my gosh. Because train yards are really loud places. Oh, yeah. It makes sense. Leland then buried her body under a pile of driftwood in kind of a shallow grave. He was convicted and sentenced to death on April 20th of 1951, and he was executed at the Oregon State Penitentiary via the gas chamber on January 9th of 1953. The area where Thelma was murdered has been developed into what is now Cathedral Park, which opened to the public on May 3rd of 1980. But the screaming for help... Yikes. I'm the not here for that. girl, right? I like my ghost to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, the scream for help thing would be so jarring, and I would be like, is this is real, it real? Like a person? Do I need to call for yeah. help? I think for me, I just, I, I couldn't deal. And literally, they say it's just a blood-curdling scream. Oh it's not like, wow. it's not faint. It's like very, very jarring. I would definitely jump out of my skin for that one. Now that we've... Decided that uh, blood-curdling screams just aren't our thing. <laughs> we have beat feet back to the car, and we are hitting the road again. So this is going to be the longest leg of our trip, and it's going to take about 17 hours as we travel. Tag team. 1,087 miles down to San Diego. 17 I've never hours? never been there, but I... Oh, yeah. It took from about, Portland? It took about 14 yeah. hours to go from um, Walla Walla to Fresno. Okay. 
Yeah, because Portland's at the top of Oregon, so yeah. you've got to go all the way through Oregon and then all the way through California. Are you taking the five I'm, or the one or one hundred one? Yeah, not the one. No, oh my god, it's just winding like, forever. It would be, so <laughs> it would be pretty. So, do you have any guesses on where we are going to stop? Oh my god, the Whaley House. Yay! Yay! You nailed it. I really want to go to San Diego, and I do have some friends down there. I should try. Yeah. So we are headed to the Whaley House. This is in Old Town, San Diego, which is said to be the birthplace of California. In 1769, Father Unipiro Sierra. Oh, he did all the missions. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was accompanied by a group of Spanish soldiers, and they established the first European settlements in California. He ended up building 21 missions, and the first of which was old town san diego essentially and he had soldiers with him because it was an actual like we're taking this land now instead of and we are forcibly converting you hey we're here wow nobody else lives here so i guess it can be ours did you have to make a mission when i did absolutely yep i had san juan batista i had san juan capistrano anyway (laughs) neither one was in san diego i guess we also visited a bunch of them i'm not sure if we visited all but we went to several like my friend and i that my best friend okay we didn't do it through school but like whatever it was there's definitely one around the monterey salinas area i think Mm -hmm. so i've seen that one a lot anyway catholics (laughs) the antichrist listen to pao there are many haunts in old town san diego (laughs) Not surprising. But we are making our stop at 2476 San Diego Avenue to visit the Whaley House. Oh my god, I want to go here so bad. I should go to San Diego. Wait for a little bit. You might want to just look at it. Oh, I don't know, man. My anxiety meds are working really well. It's not (laughs) touching my depression, but I'm not having panic attacks, so. That's good. That's good. So I'm going to give you a truncated history of the Whaley family. We could actually do, like, during actual spooky season, like, a lot more information. This family is super crazy pants, and there's a lot of interesting stuff about them. And there's more interesting stuff about the Whaley house. And But I'm going to give you kind of a, a smaller version so we can talk a little bit more about some of the shady shit that goes on in the Whaley house. Fuck yeah! So Thomas Whaley was born on October 5th of 1823 in Brooklyn, New York. And interestingly, his grandfather, Alexander Whaley, who was a gunsmith, immigrated from the United Kingdom to Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1722. Hmm. Hmm. Thomas was the youngest son of Thomas Alexander Whaley and Rachel Pye. Pye? P-Y-E. Pye, I think. Pye? We'll go Pye. Thomas's father died when he was seven, and Thomas was chosen of the three brothers to receive a formal education. His older brothers went to work for the family's company, and so they sent younger Thomas to school, and he went to the Washington Institute. After graduation, he traveled solo through Europe to a lot of different countries. And after returning to Brooklyn, Thomas met a young lady named Anna Eloise Delaney. On January 1st of 1849, Thomas left New York to travel to San Francisco for the California Gold Rush. Mm-hmm. The 49ers. Thomas was an entrepreneur, so he mainly set up like merchantile type stores. Mm-hmm. And then 
After an arson fire in May of 1851 that destroyed many of the businesses on Montgomery Street in San Francisco, Thomas packed his stuff and he moved down to San Diego to establish another mercantile store. Is it mercantile or mercantile? I don't know. I think I've been saying it wrong my whole life now. I don't know now. I probably mispronounce it. I've only ever read it. Mercantile, mercantile. Listeners, let us know. Mercantile, mercantile. Anyways, it's like a, it's a general store. Yeah. We'll just call it that. Yeah. Okay. Open up some shops. So business was booming for Thomas and he earned enough money to travel back to New York. On August 14th of 1853, Thomas and Anna married and then they headed back to San Diego. They actually traveled by ship, I believe. And so they arrived back in San Diego in December of 1853. Huh. Better to go by ship in the winter or something or... I'm guessing, yeah. I mean, I don't know how they would travel. I mean, it would have to be carriage and horseback otherwise. But I mean, it's still California. Yeah, but they're coming from New York, so that would, they'd have to go over the Rockies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Whaley's would have six children, but we are going to focus on this house. In September 1955, Thomas purchased a property in Old Town San Diego, which had been formally used as an execution property. Oh, no. (gasps) There's a house in my old neighborhood where the guy died in it, and someone bought it. I don't know if they know, though. I would have bought it, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you get a steep discount. I think they have to- disclose that. house yeah they do i think he just died normally though it wasn't violently but okay we, we still talked about it a lot as kids the, the thomas house. house oh sure no it's the thomas house so the gallows still actually stood in this barren lot oh my god and three men had been hanged from the gallows between 1851 through 1852 which thomas was there to witness these executions and Jeez. it was a gentleman named Juan Verdugo, a gentleman named William Marshall, and then a gentleman named Yankee Jim Robinson. Ah, all right, Yankee Jim. A character. Yeah. So while the size and the location of this lot was very desirable, all of the other town folks were like, nah, I'm good. Nah, bruh. You can have it. Especially back then. Right? They were more superstitious. Yeah. Oh, super, super superstitious. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but Thomas, he didn't seem to mind, and he negotiated this 9.5-acre parcel for less than 20 bucks. Because no one else was going to buy it. It's, like, literally his market. Mm-hmm. Wow. Buyer's market. So today, that would be equivalent to about $750. So imagine purchasing a 9.5-acre like prime real estate location. Nothing. Yeah. Wow. In May of 1856, the construction on the Whaley House began with a single-story granary. The bricks were actually manufactured in Thomas's brickyard. In September of 1856, the construction of the attached two-story Greek Revival-style home was started. <laughs> and this is a beautiful, beautiful house. I love this. It's like Greek like Revival. Does that mean it has pillars? I think so. Okay. To look at the picture again. But this house, the construction of this house cost in 1856 $10,000. Oh my okay. gosh. So he took the cheap, cheap land and uh, lost a bunch uh, of money on it? <laughs> I mean, 
if the materials are expensive, you know it's like... Oh, and his brickyard, though, is manufacturing the bricks for... Oh, so he's building. laundering money. I don't know. <laughs> but it costs ten grand, which today would be about $332,000 for just the, the house itself. Honestly, that's not a bad price that's for not a house that bad. in California. Yeah. I thought it would be Plus more. Plus 700 <laughs> Still, But it's that on would nine be a, acres? Nine and a half acres. Steel. In San Diego? Wow. Kidding me? And then the home was finished in the summer of 1857, and the Whaley family moved in. They didn't have all of their children at this time, but ultimately they had six throughout their marriage. The Whaley house served multiple purposes over the years, and some of these include a general store, a boarding house, the Tanner Troop Theater, which was San Diego's first commercial theater, the County of San Diego's meeting room for the Board of Supervisors, San Diego's second courthouse, a liquor store, a saloon, uh, and quite a few others. Not all while they were still living there. Some while they were, okay. some while they weren't. So it's like literally for like their council meetings, just like, oh yeah, come on over to the house and we'll have some drinks and talk this over. <laughs> yeah. Not all at the same time, but like they did, so like, right, they have the granary. Yeah part of the building and then they have the two-story part of the building when the tanner troop came in they made another entrance to the side for visitors to come in through and they had like this really beautiful theater which then became the courthouse and interesting all that other stuff so it had a lot of purposes In 1956, the Whaley house was put up for sale the plan was to demolish the house and develop the parcel (laughs) <laughs> a bunch of haunted houses then. <laughs> right? Yeah. June and Jim Redding, along with a group of other concerned citizens, petitioned the County of San Diego to purchase and restore this home because it had so much historic value. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let some developer ruin it. It is a beautiful, beautiful house. So the Whaley House Museum was open in May of 1960, and it has been managed by SOHO, or Save Our Heritage Organization, since 2000. The house has been restored to depict the 1857 to 1885 era, and there are haunted tours available. Ooh. I just fucking love it. Oh my god, we should go to New Orleans. Oh yeah. Oh, for fuck sure, yeah. I've never been, but there's definitely some good stuff there too. Oh Yeah. I'm wheezing now. What the fuck? Fuck allergies. <laughs> so the tours for the Whaley House are $18 per person, and it is not recommended for children under the age of 13. <laughs> the 30-minute guided tour includes historical information about Old Town San Diego, and then, of course, of the Whaley family. And then they go into the supernatural and paranormal history of the building, which is why we are here. I would go just because it's like an old building. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this kind of thing. Yeah. But it's even better with the paranormal. I did a ghost tour in Edinburgh Edinburgh, at night. And it was like a walking tour. We went through a cemetery. We went down underneath like the catacomb kind of areas where like all the poor families had to live. Way, way back when. Oh, my. And, like, basically every picture that you take, there's, like, one of those little orb things oh in it. My. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. Anyways. I love, like, nighttime architecture, spooky things like that. Cemeteries with screaming or 
that kind of thing maybe yeah. happen. You're like, as long as it's quiet. And if it's yeah. a tour where there's like, there's people Other around people. anyways. I'm not the only one. I can probably outrun someone. Me? I can't. Me. You would outrun me. Okay, well. I, mean, I don't know. A stranger, I ideally. I'm not, I'm not eating very much. I don't really have very much energy. I like a good graveyard, but whatever. I'll do a graveyard in the daytime. I don't know. It just depends on how much I've been drinking. I am susceptible (laughs) to peer pressure. (laughs) We'll find a graveyard in Las Vegas. No, we will not. (laughs) Okay. Never mind. We will find the bar. Okay. All of the bars. Definitely find the bar. Yeah. So soon after the Whaley's moved into the house, both Thomas and Anna started to believe that this house might be haunted because they would hear voices and heavy footsteps throughout the house when they knew they were the only ones there. And they were the original owners, too. It was not like anybody else died in it. Yeah. Ooh. But people had died on the property. Yep. Yeah. Yep. In a letter Anna had written to Thomas in June of 1857, he was away on business. She writes him this letter. Anna stated, quote, I am often startled out of my sleep in the night thinking you have come home, end quote. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the Whaley's started to believe that these disturbances were because of the spirit of Yankee Jim Robinson. Oh, the character. It didn't say why, but they were like, that's got to be Yankee Jim, right? Yeah. Not the other two. (laughs) So caretakers of the Whaley house, paranormal investigators, this house has been investigated a lot, and visitors have experienced the following things. And I'm sure there's more, but this is this is the list I've got for you guys. So not necessarily haunting, but absolutely creepy is that most of the rooms in the Whaley house have a variety of super fucking creepy dolls. No, no thanks. Oh, Mm-mm. oh, I'm less interested. <laughs> right? I was like, um, no thanks. Dolls, puppets, those Mm-mm. kinds of Mm-mm. Oh, marionettes. Yeah. Ooh. No, no. And so I'm just going to kind of go down these. So disembodied voices, heavy footsteps, light footsteps, Mm. rapid footsteps. Lots of footsteps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A moving mist in the old courtroom. Oh, that's cool. And a visitor captured four faces within the mist (gasps) while filming during their tour into that oh my god i want to see that footage in an upstairs bedroom one visitor experienced a sudden and overwhelming feeling of panic and despair oh that's happened to me in my own house it was so bad that she had to leave the whaley house immediately and was unable to sleep for several days afterwards oh my god. it was like very very okay mine wasn't that bad but uh it was uh, it was weird Hers was super intense. And then other visitors have seen dark roaming shadows. No thanks. Many visitors have experienced a dark presence that left them feeling uneasy. Okay, was Yankee Jim like mean? Well, he was being executed, so I don't know. (laughs) This is why we could probably do a whole episode on the Whaley House and like the history of all this stuff. Okay, There's a ton of information on it, but other visitors have seen an apparition of a woman in a veil. Oh. 
there's often piano and violin <gasps> and music box music coming from the empty music room. Oh my god. Oh my god. With the dolls. Anna Whaley was an accomplished musician. So she did play the piano and the violin. So some think it's Anna. Her. Hmm. Did she die in the house? No. Oh. But if but you're if, tied to yeah, something. Yeah, she's tied to it. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to be tied to this, like, suburbia neighborhood that I live in. Tie me to a Target. I will have so much fun in my afterlife. Imagine I'll haunting this cookie-cutter like, house. Fucking with the workers. I, mean, I would, too, but, like, it's just, like, these newer houses just don't have the same hauntability. Yeah. Mm-mm. So other visitors have experienced bursting light bulbs, which I found. Oh my gosh. <gasps> like like the disturbing. glass breaks? Yep. Oh God. Some visitors have had visions of pools of blood throughout the house. Ooh. <gasps> there is an EVP from one of the paranormal investigations. So that electronic voice phenomenon mm-hmm. of billiard balls clacking together or what they thought sounded like billiard balls clacking together. The cool thing about this one is that the paranormal investigator like went further with this EVP. And so he then recorded billiard balls smacking together, but it didn't make the same sound. And so he's like, what could this be? And then he's like, well, what were billiard balls made of in the 1850s? Well, it wasn't what they're made of today. They were made of ivory, generally. Instead of, like, resin. Yeah. Right. So he went to this, like, antique billiards place and got a set of, he didn't buy them, but they let him borrow them, of these ivory billiard balls, and then he clanked them together, and the sound matched perfectly. Oh, my God. I love it. Oh. That's a fun afterlife. Yeah. That's a fun research project. That's like a Mythbusters thing, kind of like, yeah. let's go see. Wow. I thought it was super cool because, right, I just over the last year have learned how to edit audio. So looking at audio now makes more sense to me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I'm super impressed that this investigator took that extra step to look at the sound profile. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I thought that one was super cool. Wow. Some visitors have experienced their electronic shutting off for no reason. So cameras, <laughs> phones, video recorders. No photos, please. Just like, nada. <laughs> no evidence. And then my least favorite of everything is that many visitors have experienced being touched no. or pushed. Mm-mm. Okay, Especially don't like that. Especially not stairs. No. Well, you think ghosts should not be able to touch you. No, nothing should be able to touch you. If you read through, I mean, there's so many accounts, right? Because so many visitors have gone to the Whaley house, but some is like slight touch to your neck, but some is actual physical pushing. So I don't know what's worse. And then there are some visitors that have not experienced a goddamn thing. Nada. I feel like most of them are probably. Probably. They saw like an old house. It depends on what you're open to when you walk in. And if they, like, if the ghosts can like, huh, this person is definitely a little bit more open to interaction than... But given the touchy part, I'm going to say if we ever end up down in San Diego, I'm going to be like at the bar nearby and y'all have fun. No, thanks. I'll go. I need a hug. Just put a sign on your shoulders that says, no, no touching, please. I need some touch in my life, okay? 
Or do you think that if you say no touching, they'll definitely ghost. touch you? Oh, they would totally touch you're me. You're just like, yeah, you're like calling them out. And I'm like, can you hug me? And they're like, no. And I'm like, please don't touch me. And they're like, guess what? They're all <laughs> over you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is what I've got for the Whaley house. So we're going to hop back in the car and we are going to head to the Silver State of Nevada. Okay. This portion will take a little over five hours, and we are going to travel 329 miles. That's like nothing. Reasonable. Yeah. That's a fun day. You might think that we are stopping on the Strip in Las Vegas, as that is one of my favorite places to go. (laughs) And it is supposed to be pretty fucking haunted around town. Oh, I need to look into that. Right? But not for this trip. Okay. We are going to stop just shy of Sin City, and we are going to go to Fox Ridge Park in Henderson, Nevada. So, we are going to get out, and we're going to stretch our legs a little bit, because I found us a super nice park to play in. Oh, no. Oh, boy. In the desert? Yeah. (laughs) How green is it? Not quite the desert. It's actually pretty green. I looked at the aerial photos of it. So, located at 420 Valley Verde Drive in Henderson. Verde. 20. I know. <laughs> Fox Ridge Park has quite a list of amenities. So it has a small amphitheater. It has a baseball field and a basketball court. It has several barbecues with picnic tables and it has a large picnic shelter. It has restrooms and walking trails. And of course, it has this really nice playground for kids. Okay. Sounds the hard part. Fox Ridge Park is approximately four acres and it's bordered by an elementary school and then several residential neighborhoods. But it is really green. There's lots of trees. There's lots of brush. There's lots of stuff going on. It looks really, really nice. Cool. And it seems like your average run-of-the-mill urban park, mm-hmm. at least during the day. Another nighttime visit. Mm -hmm. So as the sun begins to set and twilight begins, this seemingly benign park becomes rather frightening. Visitors have reported a sense of overall unease and feelings of being watched or followed by shadowy figures lurking around the park. Ooh. Okay, I have definitely felt a feeling of unease many times in my life, but I think that was anxiety. Well... But it could have been a ghost. It could have been. Maybe you have less anxiety and more ghosts. <laughs> Fine. I'll take it. <laughs> so according to the locals, things generally start getting weird around 1 a.m. I'm already asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but we were all teenagers once. So if you've never been we to were. a park at 1 a.m., then you probably you haven't lived. out. Yeah. Yeah. Local lore suggests that the playground specifically is haunted by the ghost of a small boy who was allegedly killed by a drunk driver in the area. Whoops. Hmm. I could not find anything that actually supported this claim, so this is all just kind of rumors and conjecture. So, as I mentioned, shit gets weird, 1 a.m., generally the park grows eerily silent around this time. Visitors have heard the voice of a young boy saying, goodbye. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now, the little boy doesn't normally let himself be seen by park visitors. Instead, he prefers to let his presence be known by swinging on the swings. Oh, Oh, creepy. It's all that creaking and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. 
visitors will actually see a single swing move by itself and not just a little bit. It's like somebody's actually on it. Oh my God, I love Yikes. it. Other swings are motionless. So That's it's not wind. wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. it looks like it's moving and it has like a weight to it, there's like that's different than just kind of like how yeah. swings will move with mm-hmm. wind or whatever. Oh my God. Some have seen an apparition of the little boy wandering around the park, but once they see it, he turns, looks at them very quickly, and then disappears. Oh. If you happen to catch a glimpse of him while he's on the swings, his face contorts into a demon, and then he disappears. No. Okay, no, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, never mind. We, we can skip this one. <laughs> I don't want to see a demon. I don't want to see a demon. So, yeah. Super fucking creepy. That's creepy as fuck. Pulled it up, <laughs> and there's these Google reviews where they've got the orbs things going on. Mm-hmm. So, like, here's a normal orb. Yep. But then the next image is this kind of orb. And uh-huh. they're not normally Ooh. red. No. Ooh. Oh, God. Yeah, it's super fucking creepy. So because now we're fucking scared, we're going to jump back in <laughs> the car as fast as we can. GCFO. We are getting out of here. So we are moving on. Our next destination takes us north-northwest for about 10 hours. It's about 636 miles, and we are going to the land of potatoes. <gasps> ah, potatoes! We are headed to Idaho, which is also the number one producer of trout, Austrian winter beans, and lentils. What is an Austrian winter bean? Yeah, what the fuck is that? Never I don't know. That. Never seen that in a can. You can Google it. Let no me know. Idea. Okay. <laughs> But they're not just the state's largest producer of potatoes. They also have these other fine things. I can see lentils because Eastern Washington also has a lot of lentils. Yeah, for sure. So for this stop, we do not have to be indicted to be invited as (laughs) the old Idaho State Penitentiary or the old pen has been closed since December of 1973. Sidetrack, Austrian Mm -hmm. winter beans are actually a pea. And they're oh, very wow. colorful. They're like, they look like marbles. Oh, oh those my are God, cool. those are amazing. That's really neat. I've never seen that in my life, but I would love amazing. to have that kind of pea soup. That looks like really fun. Yeah. Colorful boba. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Anyways, tea out real fast. There is a ghost tour at Alcatraz as well. Oh, yeah. Cool. That I've never I think my on. mom and my brother did that when they went when they went down there. I went to Alcatraz when I was in sixth grade and I was I got extremely sick. Oh. And I couldn't see and I was hallucinating. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Like fever hallucinating uh-huh, or like uh-huh. okay. Fever hallucinating and like I just couldn't see anything and I was just like leaning against the <laughs> wall basically. You're like, I'm just gonna lay down in this bunk real quick. Hannah got haunted. I got put in a car for like four hours with some oh. other, well, with some other guy from my class who, this was sixth grade, and when we graduated high school, he remembered like the weird wheezy sound I was making, and I was like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> Six years later? Jesus. You must have made an impression, Hannah. Yeah. He's the one that, when I found my old yearbooks in fifth grade, he wrote, I like you as a friend. Oh. <laughs> so, Aww. you know. Friend zone from uh, grade five. That's hilarious. No, I'm that type of person, though, that remembers a lot of encounters where other people probably were like, I don't, 
I don't know. When did that happen? And well, I just, he, I retain that fucking information for some reason. He was supposed to be sick, too, because he was in the car with me and everyone else went to, like, the museum. And they just left us in the parking lot. He wanted time with you, huh? He liked you as a friend in grade five, but grade six was a grade whole other story. Grade six different. Well, I yeah. did help with his homework, I guess, <laughs> is what my uh, yearbook says. But, um. Oh, Lord. So we are going to the old Idaho State Penitentiary, the old pen, as it's been called. And the old pen started its life in 1870, and it was actually called the Territorial Prison because at the time, Idaho had not yet become a state. And it started as a single cell house and then expanded into a complex of buildings, all of which is surrounded by a 17-foot high sandstone wall. And this wall is impressive. I'll keep you in. Yeah. The prison sits on approximately 510 acres and it was completed, like mostly completed in 1872. And then the first 11 inmates were transferred from the Boise County Jail. Good for them. I know. They're like, (laughs) yay, prison. New prison. However, this is the 1800s still, so it's not the best conditions. And that's a part of this story, too. They were pretty deplorable conditions for prisoners, and the conditions were so terrible that eventually prisoners would start to riot, and eventually it would get shut down. But Idaho became our 43rd state on July 3rd of 1890, and the state took over the facility and then renamed it the Idaho State Penitentiary. So the old pen operated for 101 years from 1872 to 1973. Wow. Yes. Over the years, it would house more than 13,000 prisoners with a maximum capacity of 600 at a time. Notably, 216 of those prisoners were women. Oh, it's a mixed-sex prison? Their own, like, quarters. Well, yeah, but they are still on the same ground. Yes. So the new cell house, which was built between 1889 and 1890, had three tiers, which had 42 steel cells. And then the third tier is where they housed the death row inmates. Oh. Then there was an area known as the Rose Garden. Sounds nice. Does it? Nope. (laughs) The Rose Garden is where the executions occurred. Oh, fuck. Outside? Yeah. Okay. Hangings? Yeah, mm-hmm. they had the gallows set up out there. So six out of ten of the executions occurred in the rose garden. Did they bury the inmate and plant a rose over them? Well, we'll get to that. That oh. sounds too nice. The administration <laughs> building, which was built between 1893 and 1894, that included the warden's office, the armory for the guards, the control room, and then also the visitation room. And then they had the false front building, which was built between 1894 and 1895. And this included the commissary, the barbershop in 1902 to 1960, the hospital, and then the blacksmith shop. They also had the dining hall, which was built in 1898. And this was actually designed by one of the inmates named George Hamilton. I guess that's nice. Maybe he was studying architecture. I don't know. Yeah, sure. 
Then they had Cell House 2 and Cell House 3. They were both constructed in 1899. The Cell House 2 was known as the North Wing and had two man cells with a honey bucket placed in each cell. Oh, a what? Shit. A honey bucket. Portable shit things. That's what you shit. A bucket. Gross. That's Ugh. too nice of a name for what it is, but okay. It makes me question honey. It's a company up here. It's called Honey Bucket. Oh. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. What's the other latrine? Is that? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. A yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Why would you choose Honey outhouse, Bucket? Outhouse. But it's not an outhouse because it's in the house, technically. In a house. commode? A commode, but it's... But it's not really a commode. Just a bucket. It's basically a bucket. Gross. And then Cell House 3 actually got condemned in 1921 due to the deplorable conditions. And it was like inhumane for people to be in there. In the 1920s. Yeah. And then it was converted to a shoe factory. But in 1928, it did get remodeled for occupancy. And it was the first cell house to have indoor plumbing. Oh, no honey buckets. Uh Uh-uh. Okay, so it's literally like one of those Home Depot buckets that's been fitted with a liftable lid that looks like a toilet seat. Essentially, yes. Oh, that's better than trying to shit in a Home Depot bucket, though. Or having to just shit in the corner and live in it. Oh that's my God. worse. Yeah. Yep. And then you get like rats and cockroaches. And oh, nasty yeah. Things. They might mm-hmm. already have those, but. Yeah. Ugh. I guess you could throw your shit outside of the bar. Especially if you're on the third floor, that might be kind of fun. <laughs> oh, you just drop it down. <laughs> bon voyage. <laughs> Bye. This was nice. a bad one. You enjoy it. Bye. So they also had the women's dormitory, which was built in 1920. And it was built because women are naughty too. Yay. They finally realized. Mm-hmm. They had the multi-purpose building, which was built in 1923, and this was built by the inmates, and it housed a shirt and shoe factory, a bakery, a license plate shop, a laundry facility, a hobby room. It didn't really say what- What the fuck is that? That's where you sharpen all your tools. Perfect. And then it also had the communal showers. Yay. Yay. The old pen also had the two solitary confinement areas. One was built in 1920, and it was known as the cooler. Oh, sure. Not the shoe. The other was built in 1926, and it was known as Siberia. Oh, wow, both cold. That's dark. Mm-hmm. And then in 1952 and 1954, they built Cell House 4 and Cell House 5. Cell House 4 was the largest and most modern of all of the cell houses. And then Cell House 5 was their maximum security section for the most violent offenders. It was also constructed with a built-in gallows and the new death row. Oh, wow. (laughs) All right. Yeah, might as well build it in in the max security one. And then also an outdoor recreational area, which is now the Idaho Botanical Gardens. Oh, that's nice. Was there. And now the Idaho Botanical Gardens hosts the Outlaws baseball and softball teams. And they also have (laughs) Outlaw Field. Oh, wow. Where they hold outdoor concerts. It is also home to the prison cemetery. Wow. Okay, I like that because I like a botanical garden and a cemetery together in one. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. The prison was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1973 and is managed by the Idaho State Historical Society. Tours are available for 5 to $8, depending on age. 
that's not bad. Hmm. Reasonable. For an additional $2, you can participate in a guided tour. So this is where you're going to learn more about, you know, the history of the prison and the buildings, the architecture, things like that. And then also some of the spooky stuff. But before we talk about that, let's talk about some of the more notable prisoners. Yeah, I want to know this. So I got three for you, and they could definitely be something that we pick for a case or a topic or an episode at some point. So the first one I will mention is Raymond Allen Snowden, Hmm. who was referred to as Idaho's Jack the Ripper. Whoops. That's a lot. Yeah. He was convicted of murder in 1956 and sentenced to death row for the murder of a local woman named Cora Dean. He would also confess to other crimes that he was not actually charged for, but he was charged and convicted for Cora Dean's murder. It was a brutal one. Yikes. He was executed on October 18th, 1957 by hanging. And then there was Harry Orchard, who was convicted of the assassination of Governor Frank Stunenberg. Sure. I don't know if I said that right. Close enough. He also confessed to a variety of other crimes that he wasn't prosecuted for. But that, I mean, that dude was like, talk, 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 talk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no proof, though. Yeah. His death penalty would actually be commuted into a life sentence. And he lived at Old Penn for 45 years. Wow. Though in his later years, he was allowed to actually live off the property. Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like in hospice? No. Just oh. off property. <sighs> what the fuck? So much for life sentence. There's so much more research that can be done on this. So that's why these people might be uh, an interesting episode. He was brought back to the prison in 1953 after he had a stroke. He was bedridden for three months in the prison hospital before he lapsed into a coma and died. That's when you go to hospice. Right? (laughs) And then Lida Southerd, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but she was known as Idaho's Lady Bluebeard. Ooh, we talked about Bluebeard. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she killed six people, four husbands, one brother-in-law, and her daughter by arsenic poisoning. Oh. Yeah, fun stuff. So, as you can imagine, no prison is complete without a little paranormal activity. Yeah, for fucking sure. There are a variety of unusual happenings all over the prison complex, and they include, but are not limited to, sinister feelings. (laughs) (laughs) That's... That's something. Is this the... the, Who's reporting sinister feelings? The inmates. I'm like, they're in there for a reason. (laughs) There's so many different, like, accounts and stories that you could come across. So I'm just trying to summarize some. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of them. So strange noises, clearly. Mm -hmm. Disembodied voices. Footsteps. The feeling of being watched. And dark entities and shadows that lurk in the old cell blocks. Nope. Makes sense. And then the most disturbing, much like the Whaley House, is the experience of being touched by unseen hands. They shouldn't be able to touch you. I know, right? It's not fair. Are they pulled? Wasn't that in Ghost? I've never seen Ghost, but I know about the, like the the clay scene. Oh God, the yeah, the potting wheel, throwing wheel. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it since I was, like, really little because I, I don't even remember why I was watching it when I was little, but... No, I think that's what he's trying to accomplish yeah, is he was to, trying be to be able, able to, to touch. To be able to 
like mm-hmm. reach her again. But but as a ghost, he's not substantial enough. I think yeah. My mama always told me if I put my mind to it. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was one of those things where like he was on a subway and he saw another ghost or something, and the ghost was able to like knock some guy's like book out of his hands or something. Uh huh. And then he was like, "How did you do that? Excuse I want to do that." Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the specifics, but I remember seeing that part in the movie and thinking, <laughs> like, please no. That goes against my entire, like, canon of what ghosts do. But practice makes perfect, so ghosts out there, if they're practicing, I would uh-huh. practice. I would. Yeah. I mean, I would want to. I mean, to. heck, you have all the time in the world. What right? else am I going to do? Now, the paranormal activity intensifies near the solitary confinement house called Siberia. Oh, and God. then also Cell House 5, where Snowden was held and then later executed. Snowden's presence has been felt by many of the staff members, other prisoners, and then visitors after his execution in 1957. And it said that as he draws or his spirit draws nearer to you, you get overwhelmed with feelings of oppression and dread. Ugh. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. I don't know. I might still go. I've been depressed my entire life, so I understand feelings of dread. It could be an interesting tour, so... I just really like old buildings, too, so, like, I'm into it. I do as well, like, different architecture styles and stuff like that. And just historical background. Oh, yeah. And if you look at the pictures of this, that freaking wall that surrounds the... It is so, so impressive. Yeah. That's tall. I was going to stop our road trip here, but then I realized we are only four hours or 253 miles from Walla Walla. Ah! We can go say hi to Marty and my my master's PI. Hi, Jim. You don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Please no. Please no. I was going to talk about the Whitman Massacre historical site. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. But then I was reading about it, and then it just really made me very sad. So I was like, you know what? I want to kind of end this on more of a fun note. And I have been there a couple times, and I didn't feel anything. Okay. But, like, the stories, though, are, like, pretty intense. So I was like, super intense, but... As a modern person, you have to be on the Native American side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Instead of doing that, I decided that this pit stop should be more fun than scary because it's where Marty lives. We can go to the uh, worm shop and get burritos. Is that what it's called? Okay. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah. But Mark for cocktail. Oh, my. I need to go back to Walla Walla sometime. (laughs) Visit. We are going to head to 214 North Colville Street in downtown Walla Walla to the Kirkman House Museum. So the spirits here seem to be happy or at least... I've been there! Non-aggressive. Oh, cool. I have a story about this later. Hold on. Okay. So they appear, these spirits appear at all hours of the day, all hours of the night, and they're just kind of hanging out. But it doesn't seem like a very scary place. But the reason why we're going to stop here, because the Kirkman House Museum offers at various times throughout the year a murder mystery activity. I did not go to that. That sounds amazing. Right? 
So it's not open at the moment, but they have a thing that says potentially in fall. So we can post the link to it, but it looks like it would be a shit ton of fun. That does sound fun. And then I also read a handful of articles about how just downtown Walla Walla in general has some like spooky fucking paranormal activity that happens. And I don't know if it's because Walla Walla also houses the Washington State Penitentiary (laughs) or not. But also you have to consider the stuff that's happened on the land over there as well. So anyways, you said you had an interesting story. So when I went to college at Walla Walla University, I was every quarter or maybe every year, they um, would just take a whole day off from classes and it was like a volunteer day. And so you go out mm-hmm. and you do whatever. And so one of the volunteer days, I went to the Kirkman house to do like yard work or whatever. But it was great because they also gave us a tour of the house too. And they were doing yard work. That was where... This very random guy came out of nowhere, and I was doing yard work. I was like, whatever, hoeing. No, <laughs> let's say raking. Um, <laughs> raking. And he was like, can you take off your gloves? Because I was wearing gloves. I want to see your hands. And I was like, okay. Ah, well, I did. And then he's like, you have really nice hands. Do you want to be a hand model? That's how you became a hand model? Yes, because this guy was going around asking people to take off their gloves and to look at their hands, and I had the best hands. And then I... Oh, God, I was an idiot. I got, like, I met him. I got in his car. No. Oh, my God. And I this went, could have ended so badly. This could have ended so badly. And, like, we went up to, like, the foothills outside of Walla Walla so we could take pictures in the sunset. And it was, oh. like, it was these cool, it was cool, these cool glass orbs from, like, the Manhattan Project and stuff. Uh-huh. But, uh. And I, no one else was there? Nope. It was just me and this guy. Oh, <laughs> this, my. This, before I had a very good feel of things. I. <sighs> Didn't even get paid. That's the stuff mother's nightmares are Maybe made I didn't of, get Hannah. Paid. I don't really remember. If you didn't honest. get paid, those are not anywhere. They are part of his own. No, no, no. no. It's a website. It was, I've seen bank. them on the website. Okay. I mean, I don't think it exists anymore, but I mean. I was, <laughs> He's oh probably approaching God. like all the tall, lanky women that he could find that have probably have like nice long fingers. <laughs> And like skinny wrists. And skinny I, wrists. We just went out to celebrate my exoseminar on Friday, and I was talking about how I was going to sell my foot pictures, and my boss was like, "You got to keep it together." <laughs> I was like, let's, I have, "Let's get you a real job, Hannah." I have really sexy ankles and wrists, but um, yeah, I didn't die, but I—they're very prone to breaking because of how slender they are. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yes, but that's my hand modeling story. Oh my god. Did I'm I... thankful that you didn't get murdered, but yeah. Jesus Christ. Did I tell in anyone the I was going in there? Washington? Uh yeah, and it's outside of Walla Walla. At sunset. At sunset. Yeah. In a stranger's car. Oh yeah, stranger's car. And you saw none of these red flags. Did I some tell... guy randomly who approached you while you were what color was his in car a cemetery? Hammer? Red? Oh, oh no! Jeez, oh, sorry, Otter. Yeah, I, I it was like a red little like sporty car. And did oh. you have Taco Bell? <laughs> I did not. Okay. I actually can't remember. He might have paid me. I also can't remember. <laughs> did I tell anybody I was doing this? Probably not. Probably not. From what you heard from the story so far, probably not. God, I didn't damn. know that this was how you got your hand modeling gig. I thought like, yeah. How else would I get it? <laughs> I had assumed that it was like I don't know a, an agency who seeks out no nope. people. It was some random man. 
some dirty dude. Who was just like walking around while we were like doing yard work at the Kirkman house asking to see people's hands. Wow. I'm sorry. This is a tip. So I survived, <laughs> but this is like what you should not do. True crime do podcast. Don't get in the car with strangers. If strangers ask to see a body part, you don't have to consent. Especially <laughs> if it's covered. Yeah. And they're asking you to remove something, even if it's a glove, right? You were covered. Yeah. I know he couldn't see, uh, but he wanted to see my hands on my wrist. But I even have my own car. I could have met him there. But I was yep. like, Meh, no, pick me up. You could have met him there. You could have brought a friend. I could have told anybody. Yep. Oh, my God. You could have let them know the address of where you were going to be. There was no address because it was in the foothills of like a pin drop. Walla Walla. That was before pin drops, okay? Oh we didn't God. have iPhones back then. And, like, uh, it, there wasn't an address. We were on a country road, basically. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. You can take sunset pictures that look like you're out in the middle of nowhere by literally just standing in front of a green garden. Well, yeah, and the picture itself was mostly of the, like... These the orbs hand. of glass. Yeah. Me holding these. That was my hand modeling story. I guess it's worse than it, I... you thought it was. Well, it what it is, is it's a great lesson for our listeners. Yes. What not to do. Don't do, do mm-hmm. that. Don't fucking do that. This is probably 2005 or six. What were cell phones like back then? I probably didn't even have service out there. Motorola Razor. Yeah, and you, like, yeah, you were lucky if you had upgraded and gotten like a color screen. Oh yeah, and like we were outside of the city, so in the foothills, we very likely I didn't have cell service. Oh, for fuck's sake! Also, very likely I didn't bring my phone. I mean, even though this is like said and done, it still gives me a level of anxiety thinking about this, right? Because I have a daughter. I know. Like, what the fuck? Can you just teach her not to be like me? Don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah, don't do that. I have a lot of things to tell you not to do. In in case I go missing files. Let someone know where you're going mm-hmm. and that you have a time to come back. I don't even know if I had a time to come back. Yeah. I mean, we at least need to know where we can start looking for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. My college years were not my best years. <laughs> I don't think anybody's college years were really their, their best. No. I mean, you got really lucky. It was rough. Yeah. Don't do that. Just don't do things, guys. I did something, and I pulled up a list of ghost types. Okay. Oh, are there touchy ones? Yes, there are. So this is types of ghost, ghostsandgravestones.com, literally. Uh Okay. There's one, the interactive personality. So they can interact with, like, they can interact with humans in ways where they can, like, make noises and speak um, and, like, try and be heard. They can occasionally touch you or emit odors, like odors. perfume or cigar smoke, or maybe if they were, you know, oh, I like that. a stinky person when they were alive, maybe they have B.O. I don't know. But you can, like, smell them. I'm the farting ghost. <laughs> <laughs> the poltergeist. Of- toot, toot. <laughs> they retain their former personality of when they were alive, and they're the more likely ones to, I guess, stay where they, they had kind of started off. So those are the ones that, like, want to be seen, and that's why they're, like, trying to be seen by people. There's the ectoplasm and ectomist ones that are, like, the fog swirling weird stuff like that one in the courthouse that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And this is a vaporous cloud that usually appears several feet off the ground and can move quickly around or stay still, kind of like it's just – it's there in a weird entity kind of way. They can be white, gray, or even black, and – they can linger and have, like you said, they can have kind of 
persona features to them sometimes. Okay. And then the poltergeist is kind of like the noisy ghost. It actually means noisy ghost. Haha. <laughs> and these are the ones that are able to physically interact with the environment around them. So they can knock things over, make okay. a lot of noise, manipulate the physical environment. So that's like probably the one that's breaking open light bulbs and stuff and yeah. pushing, pushing yeah. people. These are known to be like the most terrifying because of how violently they interact with their surroundings. Okay. I don't know really because the, the other ones can still touch and make noises too, but like maybe this is a really clumsy version of the first ghost. Like, right? They're just like, knocking I into things just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm new. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like door slamming. Yeah. Things like that. Poltergeists are like a bit more solid in my mind than an actual ghost. Yeah. So they mm-hmm. can do all this stuff. And then there's, like I was talking about too, the the orbs. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So these are the most photographed type of anomaly. So even in a room where there's like the air is still, you'll see orbs that are able to move and you can photograph them. So like there's no there's no wind, there's no current, there's not really like dust or anything hanging in the air, but you can still mm-hmm. see these things. So it's it's not like a refraction light thing. Okay. And so it's believed that these orbs are like kind of like the soul point on a human or an animal that was trying to be going somewhere. Like that's why they're still in kind of travel form. Mm-hmm. Circular shape, I mean, biology. Or or yeah. science in general, yeah. Yeah. It's an easier shape to obtain. Yeah, And then sure. yeah, they can actually move quite fast and can range in colors, too. Zoom! zoom I zoom. didn't know they could move quite fast, but okay. And then there's funnel ghosts or vortexes. So those are the ones that are associated with cold spots. Okay. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they can be like a swirling wisp or a spiral of light, but they, yeah, most most commonly seen as the cold spots in like a room or outside. Interesting. Fun. Listeners, which type of ghost would you want to be? Ooh, I want to be somewhere between a poltergeist and a regular ghost. The interactive one. I just want to be able to knock shit over if I want to. I want to be yeah. like, like a ghost cat where I'm like, I want to ah! be able to write stuff on walls. I think I want to be a funnel ghost. Okay. Just make everyone feel cold around me, because I already oh. do that. Okay, well, I'm going to go through astrology real quick. So I didn't do astrology, astrology, but oh, I got yeah. some tidbits. So this episode airs on Monday 613. This week is going to be somewhat promising and disappointing all at the same time. No. Monday, June 13th, Mercury is going to enter Gemini. So Mercury equals communication. And when it's in the super chatty Gemini, this means for the next few weeks that it's time to party, it's time to socialize, it's time to gossip. So you're welcome for that. Okay, ready for that. (laughs) Hot gas. I love hot gas. On Tuesday, June 14th, we're going to get a full moon in Sagittarius. So this is going to be a good day for adventure, thanks to that Sagittarius energy. Yeah, for sure. Don't stay out too late, because if you do, you will have regrets in the morning. Regrets. Okay. Have fun. Go Go home. home. What, What night is this? Tuesday, June 14th. All right. Well, yeah, I have my meeting the next morning, so... (laughs) You'll be at at home. (laughs) And then Thursday, June 16th, the sun in Gemini will be trine with Saturn in Aquarius. And, of course, we know trines are great. We love them. So this is going to be a great day to start a serious project. Oh, Hmm. I could uh, knock in that fire, fire, Friday, Sifrace gene. Okay. There you go. But beware. Oh. 
because we will also have a square. So the sun in Gemini will be square with Neptune in Pisces. And this means that there's going to be a level of misunderstanding, possibly some embarrassing situations. Oh, no. (laughs) And then some deep-rooted insecurities that could pop up. Oh, come on. Please help. Imposter syndrome. Why? So just be careful because that's like a two-sided day right there, definitely. And then on Saturday, June 18th, Venus and Taurus is going to be square with Saturn in Aquarius. And this is going to be a sad day for lovers. That's my two-year anniversary. Oh, no. No. (laughs) Wait, though. It gets better. I'm going to end this week on a bang for you. Maybe literally. I don't know. (laughs) So Saturday is going to be a sad day for lovers. So there's potential for fighting, rejection, breakups, heartache, all that icky stuff. But on Sunday, brown chicken, brown cat, <laughs> makeup sex. You make yeah. it up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So after a disappointing day in the love department on Saturday, Sunday <laughs> is going to balance out the week because this sextile, Venus and Taurus sextile with Neptune and Pisces is super, super sexy. So celebrate Juneteenth the right way. Hey, <laughs> this is a very sensual, sensual sextile. So enjoy well, that. I will, but thank you. And yeah, so that is what I have for you guys. And then, yeah, so for closeout, enjoy your super sexy Sunday. I like that. The super sexy Sunday. That's fun to say. Yes. Yeah. Instead of shh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you're not enjoying your super sexy Sunday, you can always reach out to us. We will respond eventually. My apologies for not checking our spam folder, but there were some super spicy things in there. (laughs) That's a super sexy Sunday. Too spicy. A little too spicy. That was like uh, ghost pepper spicy. But you can reach us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine. We're on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com and then check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. It will be updated. I'm going to try. But anyway. And then I don't have a quote, but I have a joke. All right. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. In the spirit of spookiness. So how do you fix... A broken jack-o'-lantern. Ah, uh, I don't know. With a pumpkin patch. Oh, oh. God. <laughs> I was like, what? just carve a smile into it. <laughs> Turn that frown upside down. Yep, there you go. Pumpkin patch. Yeah, so you're welcome. Bye. Bye. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.